Hey guys, it's Ellie, and this is Classic Mysteries. Today we're going to be reading some more of the short story, The Archduke's Tea, from the short story collection, Call Mr. Fortune, by H.C. Bailey. Last episode was really fun. The characters are enjoyable, and the plot so far is moving along nicely. <laughs> I feel like a literature critic, but I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, we have Mr. Fortune, or Reggie Fortune, and he's the main doctor. He's very neat, he's very prim and proper, and just not zealous in general. He's not super emotional. Um, the Archduke, he has been hurt by a car that ran over him. Um... But the funny thing is, you'd think that the person who was hit by a car from the back would be lying on their stomach because they were pushed forward onto their stomach. But no, he was lying on his back. And that is one of the weird things. Another weird thing that we've kind of discovered is that he also had a hat pin stuck into his sternum. So not only was he like pushed over by a car and probably has a concussion, I think he actually does have a concussion, but he also had a hat pin stabbed into his chest. Luckily it missed all the vital organs, but it was still a hat pin, right? And a funnier thing is that on the way to see the Archduke to make sure that he was safe after they got the call, they ran into another person that looked a whole lot like the Archduke, lying in the road, face up, just like the Archduke was when he got hit, who had obviously been hit by a car. So right now what they're thinking, somebody's trying to off the Archduke, and somebody thought that this poor guy, who is dead obviously, because he's just lying on the road, was the Archduke, so they ran them over by a car, but clearly they realized that it wasn't the Archduke, so they went and ran over the actual Archduke with the car, and that is how we got to where we are today. So, <laughs> Reggie Fortune is still, you know, trying to take care of the Archduke, and in the house is his brother, and the Archduke Maurice's, who's the one that got hit, his wife is also there. She is the Archduchess, and she's very fiery. And she is so fiery, she likes to drive her own cars, it's a thing they talk about a lot, she likes to drive her cars, I don't know why they mention that so often, but she likes to drive cars. <laughs> I think we're supposed to be suspicious that she was the one that ran her husband over because her husband was hit by a car and she loves to drive cars, and I'm pretty sure she was out actually driving her car when he was out walking and got hit, so I, I'm, I imagine we're supposed to be suspicious of her, but I'm just not because, I don't know, she's his wife. <laughs> Maybe she's though, I don't know, I don't know where this is going, but anyway. With that long, long, very long preface, with no more waffle, let's get right into it. He found his patient peaceful in the morning. No sign of consciousness yet, but more color in the cheeks, a deeper breathing, and a stronger pulse, more warmth. The Archduchess has come twice in the night to ask about him, doctor, the nurse said. I told her he was no better. Did she make a noise? Reggie frowned. No, she was very good. Reggie went out to take air, and the air is not bad in the West Hampton Heights. He made a good pace under the great beaches of Boulderwood, and came out on the open road across the heath. Just there he had found the dead man. A dull red stain could still be seen. It was farther on that the Archduke was struck, just beyond the turn to Brendan. He found the place. There was a loosening of the road, as if a heavy car had been brought up sharply or made a violent swerve. He walked to and fro, scanning the ground. Another of those foreign matches. Which matches have come up several times. It's like those blue-headed matches that you don't really find very often where he is. Um, that has got to be a clue, because it's come up like for the third time now, so... He was just picking it up when a motor car stopped a few yards away. Two men jumped out and came towards him. One was middle-aged and singularly without distinction. 
the other had a youthful and very jaunty air, and it was only when he came near that Reggie saw the fellow was old enough to be his father. An actor's face, with that look of calculated expression, and an actor's way of dressing, a trifle too empathic. His present part was the gay young fellow. Dr. Fortune, I think. He smiled all over his face. I am Dr. Fortune. <laughs> Reconstructing the crime, eh? You, oh, you needn't be discreet. I'm Lomas. Stanley Lomas. Criminal Investigation Department, don't you know? Sir Lawson Hunter came round to me last night. <laughs> Patient's doing well, I see. That's providential. Just a moment, just a moment. He skipped away from Reggie to his companion, and they went over to the ground. But Reggie thought them very superficial. Lomas skipped back again. He didn't bleed then. <laughs> the other man did, though. The man you found? In the middle of the road, and I found him dead in the gutter. It's quaint what the criminal don't think of. <laughs> I'm surprised every time. Do you find anything here? Reggie held out his match. There were two more like that by the other man. Lamas turned it over. Belgian make? You buy them all over the continent, don't you know? The Archduchess carries them. Ha! See? One of the characters does carry them. <laughs> now, that's very interesting. If you don't mind, I'll walk up to the house with you. Upon the way, he praised the beauties of nature and the quality of the morning air. I can just imagine them walking up to the house, and he's just like, Ah, isn't this day just gorgeous? <laughs> it feels like something that he would say, just like, You know what? The weather this week has just been stellar. <laughs> As they came to the door of Boulderwood, a big car passed them, with the Archduchess driving alone. Lamas put up his eyeglasses. She's not overcome with grief, what? <laughs> not quite. Might be bravado, don't you know? I don't know. It takes some of them that way, Lama said pensively. He turned on the steps of the house and looked after the car as it wound in and out among the beaches. Striking woman, <laughs> yes. I'll come to your room if you don't mind. I thought you wanted to say something, Reggie said. Lamas did not answer till they were upstairs. Well, no. Not to say anything, he resumed and lit a cigarette. I want another opinion, as you fellows say. Sir Lawson Hunter has made up his mind. Oh, he always does that. Lummis lifted an eyebrow. Well, look at it. Somebody in a car laid for our Archduke. The other poor devil was cut down by mistake. And the somebody had nerve enough to go on. That's striking. The Archduchess comes of pretty wild stock. In love or out of love, she wouldn't stick at a trifle. You find her matches by each body. You find a hatpin in the Archduke. That's a blunder, what? Yes, but it's a woman's blunder. She finds he isn't quite dead after all her trouble, and she is desperate and wild. He made a gesture of stabbing. So you've made up your mind too, Mr. Lamas? Lamas blew smoke rings. I'm wasting your time, Doctor. I want to know. Has it occurred to you? The Archduchess and the Archduke Leopold, working it together? If she's fallen in love with Leopold, that straightens it out, don't you know? Guess again, Reggie said. Lamas lit another cigarette. Well, that's what I want to know. You saw them together just after the crime. He lifted an eyebrow. Nothing doing, said Reggie. I'm afraid so, I'm afraid so. It's a disturbing case, Doctor. Nothing doing, as you say. If I had all the evidence in my hands, I expect there's not one that I could touch. You can't indict royalty. The Archduke's smash. Well, let's say it's all in the family. But this poor devil they killed. Who's to pay for him? These royal dagos come and run amok on an English road, and I can't touch them. Disheartening, what? That's the trouble, Doctor. Reggie nodded, and as his breakfast made its appearance, 
Lamas rose to go. He would not have even coffee. Better get busy, don't you know? We must see if we can put the fear of God into them. If they'll go scurrying back to Bohemia, it's the best way out. He skipped off, his jauntiness put on again like a coat. Reggie was standing at the window with his after-breakfast pipe when the Archduchess brought her car back. She was very pale in spite of the morning air, and her face had grown haggard. Something will snap, Reggie was saying to himself, when a voice behind him said aloud, Nice car, sir. He jumped round and saw it standing at his elbow, that ordinary, sturdy man who was Lamas's companion. After all, there's nothing like an English car, said the stolid person. Oh, you've noticed that? You do notice something, then? Of course we aren't gifted, sir, but we're professional. Something in that, don't you think? Yes, sir, as you say, we have noticed something. It was a foreign car, and foreign tires did the trick last night. And the Archduchess drives English. And yet, did you know we had the other half of the hatpin? I picked it up last night. He held out a scrap of steel with a big head of wrought silver. German work, they tell me. Viennese, Reggie said. You know everything, sir. Such convenience, but Vienna being quite near Bohemia, as I've heard, looks awkward, don't it? Is that what you came to say? Not wholly, sir, no. I am Superintendent Bell. Mr. Lomis sent me to you. He considered you might find it convenient to have someone in the house who could keep an eye open. Very kind of Mr. Lomis. There was a tap at the door. The Archduke Leopold's valet appeared. The Archduke Leopold was much surprised that Dr. Fortune had not brought him news of the patient. The Archduke Leopold desired that Dr. Fortune would come to him immediately. Really? Reggie said, Dr. Fortune's compliments to the Archduke, and he is much occupied. He can give the Archduke a few moments. The valet, having the appearance of a man who has never been so surprised in his life, retired. It's a gift, Superintendent Bell murmured. It's a gift, you know. I never could handle the knobs. Reggie began to get together some odds and ends. A bottle full of tiny white tablets, a graduated glass, a jug of water, a hypodermic syringe. You'd better clean out, you know, he said to Superintendent Bell. Will he come? He'll come, all right, Reggie said and took off his coat. When he turned, Superintendent Bell had vanished. Just setting the stage, sir, said a voice from behind the curtain. Confound your impertinence, Reggie growled. Here! But the Archduke came in. He was now a decoration in a russet brown. You are very mysterious, Dr. Fortune, he complained. I expect more frankness, sir. My patient is my first consideration, sir. I desire that you will consider my anxieties. Well, sir, how is my brother? You may give yourself every hope of his recovery, sir. The Archduke looked round for a chair and was some time in finding one. This is very good news, he said slowly, and slowly smiled. Mon Dieu, Doctor, it seems too good to be true. Last night you told me to fear the worst. Last night was last night, sir, Reggie said. This morning we began to see our way. All the symptoms are good. I believe that in a few hours the patient will be able to speak. To speak? But the concussion? It was so dangerous. But this is bewildering, Doctor. Most fortunate, sir. You might talk of the hand of Providence. Well, we shall see what we shall see. He may be able to tell you something of how it all happened. You'll pardon me, I'm anxious to prepare the injection. He dropped a tablet in the glass and poured in water. Fact is, this ought to make all the difference, 
Wonderful things, drugs, sir. A taste of strychnine, one of these little fellows, and a man has another try at living. Two or three of them. Just specks, aren't they? Sudden death. Excuse me a moment, I must take a look at the patient. He was gone some time. When he came back, the Archduke was still there. All goes well, doctor? I begin to think so. I must not delay you. My dear doctor, if only your hopes are realized. What a happiness! He slid out of the room. Reggie went to the table and picked up the glass of strychnine solution. From behind the curtain, Superintendent Bell rushed out and caught his arm. Don't use it, sir! He said hoarsely. Superintendent Bell was flushed. Don't be an ass, said Reggie. He put the glass down and took up the bottle of tablets, turned them out on a sheet of paper, and began to count them. Good lord, said Superintendent Bell. You laid for him, did you? What a plant! You know, you're an impertinence, Reggie said and went on counting. I'll get on to Lummis, sir, said the superintendent humbly. Don't you telephone or I'll scrag you. Telephone? <laughs> Not me, I say, sir. You're some doctor. He fled. <laughs> Reggie finished his counting and whistled. He did himself proud, said he. The blighter. He shot the tablets back into their bottle, found another bottle, and poured into it the solution, and locked both away. Number one, he said with satisfaction. Now for number two. Dude, he let the Archduke Leopold get poison? I mean, not get poisoned, but get poison, like obtain poison for him to use on someone else. That is scary. A normal person wouldn't take poison tablets if they were lying on a desk in front of him, but Archduke Leopold did, and that is concerning. I don't appreciate that choice that he made. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. He went off to his patient and spent a placid half hour chatting with the day nurse on dancing in musical comedy. But it was hardly half an hour before the Archduchess tapped at the door. Reggie opened it. Uh, this way, please, if you, madame. He led the way to his room. I have something to say. She stood before him, fierce, defiant, and utterly wretched. I can promise you that the Archduke will recover consciousness. She caught at her breast. He, he will live? It was the most piteous cry he had ever heard. He will live, madame. She trembled, swayed, and fell. Reggie grasped at her, took her in his arms, and put her in a chair and waited, frowning. She panted a little and began to smile. Then faintly, softly, No, no, no more now, uh, ah, dearest. It was in her own language. She opened heavy eyes. What is it? The Archduke has spoken, madame. He said your name. Then she began to cry, holding out both hands to Reggie. Let me go to him, please, please. Not now, not yet. He must have no emotions. He will go to your room and sleep. You, <laughs> you are a boy. She laughed through her tears and thrust her hands into Reggie's. I beg your pardon, madame, Reggie said stiffly. The creature was absurdly adorable. <laughs> this, this book is so weird. <laughs> uh, I love it. You? Oh, Englishman. It was made plain to him that he was expected to kiss her hand. He did it like an Englishman. Then the other was put to his lips. He cleared his embarrassed throat. I must insist, madame, you will say nothing of this to anyone. It's necessary the household should suppose the Archduke still in danger. 
Why? A spasm crossed her face. You you are afraid of Leopold. And you, madame? Reggie said. Afraid? Uh, no, but... She shuddered. But he is not a man. Have no anxieties, madame. I have none. Reggie said and opened the door. Then, she's a bit of a dear, he said to himself and rang for his lunch. Four times that afternoon, the Archduke Leopold sent to ask for news of his brother, and each time Reggie answered that the patient was much the same. Leopold will be doing some thinking, Reggie chuckled. <laughs> Happy days for Leopold. Towards the tea time, the Honorable Stanley Lamas arrived, jauntier than ever. I've noticed that H.C. Bailey tends to use the same words to describe his characters, because they're generally pretty simple characters, like they don't have a true depth. Like right now the Archduchess, like she loves her husband, but she's also really fierce, and she likes to drive cars, and she's vehement. They've said the word fierce and vehement, talking about her character, like, so often. And same with Stanley Lamas, like he's always been described as jaunty. And I mean, with other words, but like they've always used the word jaunty, so... It's, it definitely allows you to identify characters, because if you forgot their name, you can just identify them by the adjectives that's used to describe them. Uh, so that is kind of handy, but <laughs> I just thought it was funny that he's always jaunty, and the Archduchess is always vehement, and yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> well, Doctor, been enjoying yourself, what? He shook hands heartily. Best congratulations and all that. A sound scheme. Very sound scheme. Well, I expect you'll be glad to be rid of Leopold, what? I can see if I can put the fear of God into him now. <laughs> Free hand, don't you know? Let's take him on. It was announced to the Archduke Leopold that the Honorable Stanley Lamas of the Criminal Investigation Department desired to confer with him. That's not terrifying. Imagine you get like a note or somebody tells you that like, The Honorable Stanley Lamas of the Criminal Investigation Department desires to confer with you. <laughs> That would be like getting a call from your boss, or like getting called to the principal's office or something, dude. That'd be so scary. The Archduke, who was drinking tea, was pleased to receive Mr. Lamas. He also received Reggie. Dr. Fortune, you have something to tell me. There is no change, sir. No change yet, and you gave me such hopes this morning. These are anxious hours, Mr. Lamas. I can imagine it, sir. But I hope to relieve some of your anxieties. I believe we shall discover who was responsible for last night's outrage. So, and so soon, but you are wonderful, you English police. You will sit down, Mr. Lamas. He looked at Reggie, whose lingering naturally surprised him. Is there anything more, Dr. Fortune? Dr. Fortune is part of my evidence, sir, said Lamas. Is it possible? But you interest me, you interest me exceedingly. Permit me one moment. He slid out of the room. Lamas turned in his chair and lifted an eyebrow at Reggie, who was settling his tie before an old Italian mirror. Probably gone to change clothes, Reggie said. He's only worn one suit today. A footman brought in more tea things, and a moment after, the Archduke came back. I am all impatience, Mr. Lamas, but pray, take a more comfortable chair. Dr. Fortune, I recommend the chair by the screen. Let me give you some tea. He was all smiles. Have you made arrangements to leave England, sir? Lamas said sharply. Mr. Lamas! You have time to catch the mail tonight. I hope that I do not understand you, sir. You appear insolent. Oh, sir, there will be no delicacy in handling the affair. You went to Dr. Fortune's room this morning? The Archduke gave a glance at Reggie, who sat intent on stirring his tea. 
He was preparing an injection of strychnine for his patient. Hello, what's that? Reggie cried and nodded at the window. Oh, I suppose it's the car, Lamas. Your fellows will have found her and brought her round. The car, sir? The Archduke said, and Lamas put up his eyeglasses. The car that did the deed. The Archduke slid across to the window. Lamas, too, stood up and looked out. They turned and stared at Reggie, who was sipping his tea. Lamas frowned. There's nothing there, Fortune. The Archduke smiled. Dr. Fortune has hallucinations. And he pulled out his handkerchief and dabbed his face, sat down, drank his tea in gulps. We'll keep to the point, if you please. Lamas was annoyed. Dr. Fortune told you that two of his strychnine tablets would kill a man. He went out of the room. While he was gone, you dropped half a dozen tablets into the injection prepared for your brother. I have to demand, sir, that you leave England by the next boat. The Archduke burst out laughing. <laughs> the good Dr. Fortune, as you have seen, he has hallucinations. He hears what is not, dreams what never was, but if I were policeman, Mr. Lomas, I should not make Dr. Fortune a witness. You become ridiculous. He is not the only witness, sir. One of my men was behind the curtain. The Archduke poured himself out another cup of tea. May I give you some more, Dr. Fortune? No? I fear you are malicious, my friend. He laughed a little. And you, sir, we sometimes find a policeman corrupt in our country. We do not permit him to trouble us. You brought a German car into England, sir, Lamas said. Where is that car? Your spies do not seem very good, Mr. Lamas. Come, sir, enough of this. The Archduke started from his seat with a cry. His body was bent in a bow. A horrible grin distorted his face. He fell down and was convulsed. He gasped. His pale cheeks became of a dusky blue. He writhed and lay still. So, that's that, Reggie said. I wondered what he wanted with half a dozen. What is it? Lamas muttered. Oh, strychnine poisoning. He swallowed a grain or so. My god, can you do anything? Reggie shrugged. He's as dead as the table. After a while, Well, it's a way out, Lamas said. But I can't understand the fellow. Oh, <laughs> I don't understand it all, Reggie admitted. He was out to kill his brother. That meant being emperor. But why kill him now more than before? And the archduchess, she is straight enough, I know. But just how she was to this fellow, I don't see. Ah, so it was Leopold. He was trying to kill his brother. We don't know if he was the one that actually drove the car, but we know that it was his intent to kill his brother, so. There's not much in that, Lamas said. Maurice couldn't stand the court, and it was common talk he meant to resign the succession. While he was quiet over here in England, Leopold felt safe, but lately they tell me Maurice has been making up his mind to go back. Duty to the country, don't you know? The Archduchess was strong against it. She hates all the business of royalty. But Maurice is a resolute sort of fellow, even with a woman. Leopold came over to see what he could do. I suppose he set the Archduchess on to make Maurice give up the idea and stay quiet. Or that's the notion at the Bohemian Embassy. She's a gypsy, what, but she's straight. She's not in this. It wasn't her car. Well, when Leopold found there was nothing doing, he set about the murder. He was a bad egg, don't you know? There was a woman in Rome. They kicked him out there. But it was a sound scheme. He had it all straight, except the wrong tires on his car. Good touch, the hatpin. Seemed like a woman in a rage. He knew a lot about women. One kind of woman. There was a tap at the door. The two walked forward. Sir Lawson Hunter, sir. The woman tried in vain to see the Archduke. Yes, bring him up. 
Reggie said. Sir Lawson bustled in. New case for you, sir. The two men moved apart, and Sir Lawson saw the body. Poisoned himself. Taken strychnine, Lamas said. Oh, don't bias him, said Reggie. He doesn't like that. Good God! Sir Lawson's eyes bulged. Yes, that beats me, Fortune. Lamas waved his hand at the body. I would have sworn he hadn't the pluck. Oh, he hadn't. He meant it for me. I changed the cups. You... Lamas stared at him. That was when you heard the car! That was why I heard the car. And you let him take the dose? Yes, seemed fair. See, I picked up that poor fellow he smashed last night. Good gad, said Sir Lawson. The footman was again at the door. Dr. Fortune was wanted at the telephone. There's one here, isn't there? Uh, put me through. The footman, hardly able to speak at the sight of the dead Archduke, retired, gulping. My goodness, the poor guy. <laughs> the bell rang. Reggie took up the receiver. Yes, yes, at once. And he put it down. I must be going. Serious case. Mrs. Jones's little girl may have German measles. The end. <laughs> that was so fun. So, in the beginning of the story, we were kind of led to believe that it was the Archduchess, because, you know, with the foreign matches that she used, and the hat pin, and the fact that it was a car, and we were told so many times that the Archduchess loves driving cars. So we were definitely led to believe that that was her, but it was all the Archduke Leopold's idea, his whole plan, was to throw the suspicion on her. Yeah, that was really clever. I enjoyed it, you know. Basic characters, like, fun plot, you know, it was, it was enjoyable. I think I'll read some more H.C. Bailey in the future. But so far, my plan for next week is to do another radio play episode, because I haven't done that in forever, and they're fun. So, might as well. So if you want to email me or DM me on Instagram, you can let me know which radio show was your favorite, which detective radio show was your favorite, and I might do an episode from that. So, yeah. So, again, if you have any book recommendations or radio play recommendations, you can let me know at my email, classicmysteriespod at gmail.com, or at my Instagram, which is at classic underscore mysteries. So feel free to follow me there. And if you're on a podcast app where you can comment, where you can like, you can subscribe, feel free to do that. That will help the podcast kind of spread to a wider audience and so that more people can hear these stories that nobody else really gets to hear. Um, and finally, there are always two links in the show notes. One is to just do a one-time donation to me if you feel like it. And another is to become my patron. On Patreon right now, I have a $5 Watson tier and a $10 Sherlock tier. So I'll probably add some lower tiers in the future, but you know, that's how it goes for now. Yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I had an amazing week, and I hope you guys had an amazing week as well. See you guys next Monday. Bye.